It's a common physical ailment, but there are ways to address it. So, we're discussing exercises for lower back pain. Welcome to the Live Greater podcast series, information for a healthier you from the University of Maryland Medical System. Thanks for listening. I'm Joey Waller. Our guest, Dr. Peter Bowman. He's Director of Therapy Services for the University of Maryland Orthopedic Associates, Site Therapy Director for University of Maryland Orthopedic School of Medicine at Camden Yards, and also Assistant Professor at the University of Maryland School of Medicine. Dr. Bowman, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. So first, in a nutshell, just how common is lower back pain, and are there certain people, for whatever reason, that it seems to affect most? Sure. Lower back pain is a very common condition that can affect over 80% of the adult population. Most of us are going to have bouts of lower back pain on and off throughout our lives. Current literature doesn't really support any definitive causes for an initial episode of lower back pain. The clinical course for lower back pain can be described as either acute, subacute, recurrent, or it's chronic. And given the high prevalence of recurrent and chronic lower back pain, there are a number of associated costs with that. And a lot of times clinicians should try to work toward reoccurrences and helping the patient through episodes of chronic lower back pain. It tends to affect all of us. And, you know, once you get it once, you may get it again, you may not get it again, but there really isn't one or another factor that really points us toward is always getting lower back pain. So what seems to be the most common cause? Is it just wear and tear over time or is there more to it than that? It can be wear and tear over time. It could be certain jobs may predispose people to getting lower back pain. I've worked in a number of different outpatient settings and worked with patients who do a lot of heavy lifting and some of those patients have lower back pain and I've worked with people who have very sedentary jobs and they have lower back pain. It's just kind of one of those things that I think over time as we all get a little bit older, there is a lot of wear and tear and certainly the harder your job is, the more that may affect your different muscles throughout your body which can lead to lower back pain. Not only does it affect men and women pretty much equally, it can even affect antepartum, postpartum women, whether or not they have lower back pain. And sometimes people who have back pain at certain times in their lives and other times it may go away. One thing I find interesting is that a lot of patients, it doesn't matter if they're obese or they're skinny, they can also have lower back pain. So it's kind of an interesting thing that there isn't one specific driver for it. And I've worked with patients in the past who have been morbidly obese and lost 100 pounds and didn't have lower back pain. And as soon as they lost the weight, they had intense lower back pain. So it's just one of those things of working with your healthcare provider and trying to figure out what may be the best thing for you and and trying to help you with your back pain. Wow. So very hard to pinpoint often, it sounds like. What everyday things can we do to prevent lower back pain and what should we do to avoid causing or worsening it? I think one of the easiest things to do for all of us in the working profession is try to get up and move every hour. You can even have the best ergonomic setup with a $2,000 chair and a $5,000 desk setup and still have lower back pain. One of the easiest things to do is to either set an alarm and get up and walk around every hour. An easy thing that I tell patients to do is to try to drink more water. If you drink more water, you finish your cup, you go refill it. Or maybe you have to get up and go to the bathroom. And so really changing positions and modifying that you do every hour is really kind of one of the best things for you. For me personally, if I were to sit all day, my my back and my whole body may ache because I'm so used to up and moving around. But I think a simple trick, honestly, is just drinking more water and fluids throughout your day. So speaking of sitting and being at work, sitting whether it be home or at the office, 
How about posture? Why is that so important to back support and what can we do there? Honestly, I think this question comes up a lot. Is there an optimal posture for sitting, standing, and laying down? There really isn't. I think if you're really trying to get yourself a good setup and when you're sitting constantly through your day, is really start with your feet, making sure your feet are flat either on the ground or on some type of surface. Not all chairs are easily adjustable depending on how tall we are. So another trick I've taught patients in the past is to either get a trash can and turn it sideways so you can have your feet on a flat surface or even get different books throughout your house and you can have your feet at least on something. So if you start with your feet flat on a surface, that will actually change the angle of how your hips are positioned in your chair. As your hips are sitting differently in your chair, it's going to affect your pelvis. As your pelvis is in a different position, then it affects your lumbar spine. As your lumbar spine is in a different position, it affects your thoracic spine, and then that affects your neck and your shoulder girdle. So I really think the easiest thing to do is to start with your feet and kind of work your way up, and that kind of gives you a, a good sense of how you're sitting in your chair. If you're sitting with your feet dangling on the ground all day, that's going to have a different effect on your lumbar spine, and that may have you increase your lumbar extension, which may cause pain. So one of those things, like I said, is, is start with your feet flat. And another thing I always like to tell people is when they're sitting in their chair, they sometimes will tell me they have the best optimal posture that they can have while they sit. And so my question to them is, does it hurt? I say, well, yeah. I say, well, why don't you just change a different position for where you're sitting? Well, because I, I need to sit optimally with my back straight and, and upright. And I'm like, well, maybe if you change that slight positioning, maybe if you flex a little, does your pain get better? And so a lot of times it's going to depend on the patient's posture, how they are standing, how they are always in the, a normal resting position, and then you can vary it from there. But like I said, I think having your feet flat on the ground is probably the easiest thing to start with. So that's a great place to start. Let's get into some exercises, please. First, what muscles are we typically looking to strengthen when we do lower back exercises? Sure. So you have your core, mid-core stabilizing muscles. And we've heard a lot about core throughout the world. Everyone's always working their quote-unquote core. So there's actually two different sites of core muscles. And the core muscles that actually really give your trunk stability are made up of five muscles. And those muscles are your, are your multifidus which are very small muscles that go every other vertebrae in your lumbar spine and all the way up to your cervical spine. Your transverse abdominis, which is a very flat, thin muscle that wraps from front to back. And that also interweaves with your internal obliques, also working your diaphragm and your pelvic floor muscle. These five muscles kind of work as almost like a soda can around your mid-trunk, which helps to stabilize your lumbar spine and to help stabilize your body. And so in order to work those as advantageously as possible. Give us a few exercises, please, that we can do on a regular basis. Sure. One of the exercises I love to give patients is in a quadruped position where someone is on their hands and knees. And a lot of times people will see people at the gym in this position doing a bird dog exercise. And most of the patients at the gym actually do it not patients, but patrons at the gym do it incorrectly because they actually hyperextend their lumbar spine. And so if you're actually in a position, in a crawling position, and raise your arm about three-quarters the way up, so if you actually raise your arm not quite to your shoulder height, but a little bit less than that, that'll actually help to activate your multifidus muscle. 
And when patients or patrons do this, they tend to be doing them very fast and doing them very frequently. But if you actually hold the position and get the muscle to engage a little bit more, you'll actually feel more of a tightening in your lower back and maybe from your thoracic spine down. And what you're looking for is you're not looking for a very massive muscle contraction. You're looking for a very subtle tightness and a contraction in your back. And you can progress from an arm raise to a leg raise and then into an arm and leg raise doing the opposite sides. And one thing that's easy to make this exercise even harder is to throw in a Kegel exercise. And I think the easiest way to have somebody do a Kegel exercise is to pretend that they're trying to not pass gas. And what that'll do is pre-fire their multifidus muscle, their transverse abdominus muscle, and their pelvic floor. So if they pre-firing these muscles and then they incorporate these this arm raise, they'll actually get more of that multifidus firing to occur. And as the multifidus fires more, that actually helps with the patient's lower back pain. So this muscle is key because it's one of the main muscles that shuts off when a patient injures their back. And a lot of us don't tend to actually work our multifidus muscles very well. So I think this is a key exercise that people do in yoga class and are doing at the gyms. They're just doing it maybe not as effectively as they could be and just reimagining how high they're actually moving their joints and their limbs and their extremities will help them to fire that muscle better. Another really good muscle that we all tend to underutilize, which isn't part of the core muscles I'm just speaking about, but is actually your gluteus maximus muscles and your gluteus medius muscles. And I think most of us all really think that we squat correctly and we do a great job doing squats. But most of us, and this even goes down to pediatrics and the kids, we actually all tend to squat not as effectively as we could. And an easy way to get a better squat is when you do squat back is to look down and make sure that you can see your toes, right, when you're squatting back. So your knees should stay behind your toes as you squat back into a chair. The other thing that a lot of people don't actually do is to activate or squeeze their glute muscles as they stand up. So a lot of us, as you're squatting, you may just try to stand and you don't actually feel your glutes contract. But if you actually make your mind squeeze your glutes as you stand, you'll, better, you'll get a better glute firing. And as your glutes get stronger, it actually takes pressure and pains off of your lower back. Another good thing to work on is hip strength and getting any of your hip muscles and your hip rotator muscles stronger because having good local support at your hip will also take some stress off of your lumbar spine. And then you mentioned the glutes, and before we go, I also want to ask you about hamstrings, because tight hamstrings can contribute to lower back pain if you don't loosen them up too, right? That's true. I mean, and sometimes with tight hamstrings, it's going to play with overextending your lumbar spine. And stretching your hamstrings can be a good thing to do. What's actually is interesting, there's some research on it stretching, but there hasn't been really good evidence as to how good it really is, which I find interesting because everybody tends to stretch, right? But doing good stretches, doing anything to give you a good warm-up before you get going and get your blood flow going is going to be great. And if you do a hamstring stretch, make sure that you're not having anything other than a muscle pull in the back of your leg. If you start feeling something else, maybe you're irritating a nerve or something else may be getting irritated as you go. But a good stretch you should hold for at least 30 seconds and do anywhere from three to five different types of repetitions with that. Excellent. And so finally, Doc, in summation here, when should someone with lower back pain seek professional help, whether it be a doctor or maybe a physical therapist? And what's your overall message to those suffering from this? 
The main thing I usually tell family, friends, anybody is if you have an injury or have any type of lower back pain, usually a lot of that is going to hopefully improve within two weeks. Within a two-week time frame, some of that should be getting better. You should be improving. If within after two weeks you're not feeling better, I think it would be a good idea to go have your lower back looked at. Other things that may be more of a red flag would be somebody experiencing maybe some numbness tingling, especially if they feel any weakness where now they're not able to do certain things like lift their foot that they were before. If there's ever any loss or change in their bowel or bladder, those are immediate things where they should go seek their physician. If someone just has lower back pain, that can get better, but I think two weeks is a good time frame to kind of see how things go unless you're having one of these major red flags that are going on. Key takeaways, most of the time, 80-90% of the time, lower back pain is going to get better. 95% of lower back pain is going to improve. It may just take longer in certain instances than in other instances. And then within that 5%, there isn't a huge percentage that do need surgical intervention, but the ones who do need surgical intervention do need that. And if you are suffering easy things that can really help somebody if they don't have a fear of water is getting into the pool, walking around, doing something that can unload their body to keep them active at least for 30 to 40 minutes a day, maybe an hour. But the pool is a good thing for someone who has lower back pain, especially with nerve pain and radiating symptoms. That'll just keep them active and keep them going. Back pain, disc herniations, all those things can improve. They just take a long time, and sometimes it's just how long people can deal with that. And for those listening, wondering, wow, I really wish I could see some of these exercises that the doctor is describing. Well, hang in for just a sec because we're going to tell you more about where you can see them in just a moment. Folks, we trust you're now more familiar with exercises for lower back pain. Dr. Peter Bowman, thanks so much again. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And you can find more shows just like this one at umms.org forward slash podcast, as well as on the University of Maryland Medical System YouTube channel, where you can find that great video that, as mentioned, Dr. Bowman has put together, where you can get a visual of these exercises in action firsthand. Now, if you found this podcast helpful, please do share it on your social media. And thanks again for listening to Live Greater, a health and wellness podcast brought to you by the University of Maryland Medical System. We look forward to you joining us again, hoping your health is good health. I'm Joey Wallace.